This is React Podcast. I'm Chantastic. This week, we chat with Maggie Appleton about mental models, conceptual metaphor theory, culture, creative thinking, drawing a box, and how it all comes together in her incredible egghead course artwork. First, I want to tell you about Infinite Red. If you're building a React or React native app and you're way outside of your depth, check out Infinite Red. They're pro unstuckers for React and React native projects. They've helped hundreds of companies like yours build beautiful, functional web and mobile apps. And they teach you as they build. In fact, they're terrific teachers. They've taught tens of thousands of developers through open source and their annual React Native conference, Chain React. React podcast listeners get two free tickets to Chain React 2021 for referring and starting a new project. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red. That's reactpodcast.infinite.red to start and build a beautiful functional app today. Maggie Appleton, welcome to React Podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Now, I have to say, just I'm thrilled to have you on the show because um, when I was when I was doing my egghead course on suspense, um, I, I was going through some like rough times, like you know, just really kind of like put, <laughs> getting that content in order. And um, the thing that really kept me inspired was knowing that at the end of it. I was going to walk away with a with a, a Maggie Appleton uh, original. Um, so first, thank you for keeping me inspired. Uh, but I wanted to talk with you about uh, about the work that you're doing because it's so um, important. It really sets so much of what Egghead is doing apart. And uh, I just wanted to get a sense of you know what you're doing, how and why. Um, so first, just tell me about your your role at Egghead. Sure. So um, I suppose my official name that I got to pick myself because we pick our own job titles there, um, it's all a bit arbitrary, is I labeled myself <laughs> art director and lead illustrator, which is very okay. egoistic. Um, <laughs> but it's a great title. <laughs> right? Doesn't it sound fancy? <laughs> director. Um, it essentially means like I'm in charge of anything that is an illustrated visual on the site. Okay. So I make most of the course illustrations, but I also have uh, a couple freelancers who help me out because we have quite a few of them. Um, but I do the art direction where usually freelance illustrators don't tend to know what RxJS is or they don't know what suspense is. So I'm the interpreter between them where I'll, you know, go do some research and ha have enough of an idea and then help design metaphors that they can illustrate. So I like to think of myself half as a metaphor designer and then also half as an illustrator, the person really drawing the stuff out at the same time. Interesting, interesting. <laughs> now, that's that, that's something that I've always really admired about your work in particular is is that you you bridge that gap like so well. I mean, to to the point that it's always been impossible for me to know whether or not you were a technologist first or an illustrator <laughs> first. <laughs> well, it might be because the answer is um yes both. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um the the two have never been necessarily that separate for me um like i grew up in a very techie family like both parents were programmers uh, and they became other things later but it was like we had computers young you were encouraged to like break it and install malware on it and like have to reset <laughs> the whole thing you know like <laughs> i think i spent most of my childhood playing age of empires like nice. uh very screen screen kids <laughs> that's, a, that's the opposite of my house i was like barely <laughs> able to touch the computer like oh, no. and the one time i did i broke it and i was like not able to touch it for like a month after that <laughs> so your whole career was just revenge is this it <laughs> yeah, yeah i'll get back at you mom and dad <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's cool so you grew up in a very like tech um aware and like enthusiastic house yes yes so like most honestly most of my like technical illustration skills like uh i didn't come from traditional drawing first that i like trained in later when i wanted to get better but i very much like you know i i downloaded just some janky copy of photoshop in high school and would stay up till 2 a.m like making backgrounds <laughs> like that was for sure where my skills came from uh, or it was back in like, it's supposed to be like 2007 or so. And it was back when like icon design was really big, like really yeah. shiny tactile icons. So I would just try to make copies of all the icons I found online. And I kept redesigning my desktop a thousand times. 
um, with like custom made icons. So I'm pretty sure that was how I learned how to render in Photoshop. <laughs> That's interesting because you're, you're, the art that I see from Egghead does have that very like kind of tactile thing still that like I remember from, I can't remember, was it Icon Factory or, or something? Yes, I them, Icon Factory. I love Oh them. my gosh, they did amazing work. All their I stuff know. was just so far above the other stuff that we were seeing at the time. Yeah, yeah. So they, they were like the cream of the crop. I'm still sad that they're not around as much anymore. But the whole skeuomorphism phase, it's like, it's kind of all right that it went away, but I like yeah. to carry it on in, in illustration. <laughs> yeah. Now, you have a very unique style of, of, of illustration. And I think also kind of the the way egg horse, uh, egg horse, egghead courses <laughs> are, are designed, it's almost like, like, like a logo mark or like a icon, but also an illustration. Like, wh- where does it fit in kind of the language of illustration? I know it is its own category. I never quite know what to call it. So yeah, it is. It is very much what you described. It's some sort of like badge, but it's sort of a logo. So I pull from all aspects of that world. So like, I studied a lot of logo design um, earlier on in my career. It was more of like a web design, graphic design when I started out because that's a little more lucrative and I didn't quite have my illustration skills up yet. Um, So I studied a lot of, yeah, fundamental logo design helps me a lot with creating simple, clear compositions that will like read at a small size, but then adding in the nice like rendered detail. So if you see it at 800 pixels, it also looks like a fully, fully rendered illustration. Um, But like, I I certainly have, you know, if you ask me to do a fully illustrated scene, like a full width thing, I'm I'm not as strong in that suit. I'm very good at small, self-contained, (laughs) logo-like things. (laughs) It's a small skill (laughs) set. Well, I've always liked that because it does, as you mentioned, um, uh, like a badge. Uh, there's something really fun about like badge design. Like my my son is in a like a hiking uh, troop, and there's something so fun about the badges because each one of them has like a story associated with it, and mm-hmm. and so much of the art that you do doesn't just communicate, you know, kind of like this thing is about this thing, but it, it communicates like the journey that you're gonna go on as you enter that course and leave it, um, which is really fun well that's what i hope they do i try (laughs) (laughs) i love that so what uh what is kind of the role of like story as you're you're thinking through these these particular like course um badges if you want to call them that yeah um i definitely do probably do think in terms of storytelling a bit i suppose i focus definitely on the idea of the metaphor where i I love that idea of like it's like an invitation into the course where i sort of want people to see them and then have some high level idea of like what they're getting into or at least Mm -hmm. get excited about what they're going to get into yeah like as like i do try to keep away from just like abstract shapes that look shiny but like something that really like encompasses the whole thing in a and a visual metaphor that is is meaningful, like that's always quite important to me. That it actually is is not just like a robot with like a React logo on it, but like <laughs> which is like the standard, right? Where you're like, it's yeah, a course yeah. about React. It's I don't know, it's a robot, and <laughs> but instead I'm take the to... <laughs> atom and just change the color a little bit, and maybe yeah. put a different line in the middle of it. Yeah, yeah, and you see, I mean, you see that around a lot, and you understand why, right? Because it is like. Um, I like to say, you know, all of all of programming is so new, it doesn't have visual language to it yet. So, um, okay, this is a bit, we're getting into abstract metaphor theory, but that's really what <laughs> I, I love. It, so I love it's it. fine. <laughs> we're just going to go in there. <laughs> okay. So, you know, whenever you see um, editorial illustrations, right, around things like uh, financial topics, um, mm-hmm. there's always like a, a set of, of visual symbols that we always go back to, um, right? So piggy banks... Um, or like um, money is like a flowing river and there's all these like tropes. A lot of ladders in terms of like investments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Um, Or or like the golden egg, you know, so there's all these like um, cultural symbolic tropes that have been developed around financial um, work because that's another abstract world, but it's been around long enough that we've, we've built the symbols and programming is one where it hasn't really been around long enough for us to have developed like a rich visual library of things to pull from. Interesting. Um, so that's why I think a lot of programming illustration really falls short is there's, there's nothing to pull from. You have to really start looking closely at language and metaphors and the way we talk about certain programming concepts and then build visuals out of those. Um, so I pay a lot of attention to the specific words that get used around certain libraries and certain frameworks because every single one has a bunch of... Um, perhaps unacknowledged, um, but 
unconscious metaphors within them. Sure, sure. So like React, right? Like uh, if you think about components, those are containers, right? They have like edges and boundaries and things go Mm. in them and out of them. And we're using a foundational frame in our mind of a container to think and how we behave around components. Um, Or like React has a tree, right? And yeah, <laughs> I react actually has some some conflicting metaphors, which is interesting because <laughs> it's a tree, right? And like, yeah. what directions do tree grows in, right? Like, it, it grows upwards, up but, and out. And um, what direction does data flow in React? <laughs> down, <laughs> down. <laughs> mm. So <laughs> it it works, right? You can totally make it work. I like to say React is like a potato plant because the roots at the top. And like the data goes down in a tree shape, <laughs> but like you have to turn it into a potato plant for the metaphor to work, <laughs> or, or it's an upside down tree. Um, it's so- still like agriculturally <laughs> related, but yeah. yeah, yeah, I get it. And I like, I, I agree like with you. I like where your head's at on that. <laughs> it could be a carrot too. I've played with that one. Um, and then it's like you know you have rehydration, so you can tell like the data that's flowing through React is a liquid. So that's like an inherent metaphor to the whole thing. Yeah, so there's like so there's all these, these hidden metaphors that structure the way we think about the way React yeah, works. Yeah. Uh, and when you have to draw something, you have to really literally think through what those what those objects are. Um, because, yeah, there's, there's a physical world in our heads that we don't quite acknowledge because it's like, oh, it's all just abstract syntax. Like, I'm not thinking yeah. in space and time. But, but really, you are because you always are. As a, as a human, that's the only way you understand the world is there are things in front of you and behind you and above and below and, you know, objects go into containers, and there's liquids and solids. Um, and we project all of these things into the programming world. Well, yeah, this is something that I've, I've really loved about your work, in particular, like most recently, and I think we're going to discuss this maybe in a, a later episode, but with, mm-hmm. with just JavaScript, yeah. um, you've really taken this to an extreme. And, mm-hmm. you know, taking this notion that like people have a mental model, like a physical mental model for these constructs in their head, and saying like, hey, this is actually making some people like worse programmers because they have the wrong mental model. Yeah. And if we can if we can fix the mental model, if we can reassociate and reconnect how these things work in like kind of that mental physical space, well, it totally opens up the world of programming like on a broader scale. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I mean, really, so just JavaScript, yeah, it would be great to talk about that um, with Dan at some point because it was that he, uh, when we first started talking about this project, he sort of came to me with this idea that people had the wrong mental model and it was making them program wrong. Um and I was like, oh, mental model, that sounds like a metaphor. But okay, this is the programmer <laughs> word for metaphor. Let's run with it, sure. <laughs> but I was on board. I was like, that makes total sense to me. Um, and and it was funny, even in our early uh, stages starting to draw it out, um, I, I would draw things like, uh, you know, objects, you know, the word itself, it implies an object, you know, that I was like drawing properties onto an object as if it was like, you know, oh, the pot is orange, you know, if you mm. that sort of thing. Uh, and Dan was having to explain, no, if you do that, then you can't, you know, detach the property. So you've got to make them separate entities. Interesting. Um, so it was really interesting. So you could see from the words, of course, we come in with these assumptions about what an object is and what certain properties it has. And and you have to, you have to like change the, the meaning of the words to be able to make the model fit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to dive in a little bit more to philosophy, but I have one more question kind of in the practical world first. As you've been designing, you've been designing these egghead course badges and, you know, uh cheat cheat art for mm-hmm. for years now. Um what was what's the hardest one that you've ever had to do? Like what was the hardest metaphor that you ever had to map? Oh, monads. Monads. <laughs> And I totally didn't nail it. It was one of those, like, I so wanted to, like, do monads well. But if you go look, there's one course on Egghead about monads in JavaScript. And it's a bunch of abstract shapes, like, kind of inside a container-like thing. Sure. And they're sort of, like, nested inside each other. So you could maybe, like, make the association. But, like, one day I hope to properly come up with a good metaphor for monads. But I've already forgotten what it is. Like, I once knew, and now I don't remember. (laughs) Well, I'm really excited for the next Monad course because um, I I, I have confidence. (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I'm waiting for you to do it so I can have a proper mental model. Sure, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So now when I got my um, start in tech, I was doing these like sketch notes at conferences. And um, it like it what I realized 
later was I, I was really just kind of like doing it at the time to help me focus on those things. Mm. But kind of as you were talking about the the philosophy and whatnot, I realized that as as I like think back to those conferences, I remember those talks more vividly than any talk that I ever like just sat through. And there was something, you know, unknown to me about that process of really trying to like take something and like draw it like visually or like find the metaphors and whatever as it's happening. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious, like, what do you see, like, what does the philosophy or the science be behind uh, these like cognitive metaphors for programming and like how they help us like remember stuff or have these better mental models? Yeah, well, I guess most of what it does is, yeah, especially whenever you're drawing something, right, you can no longer be fuzzy about it. You have to really concretely decide, like, you know, okay, my React component, is it to the side of my other React component or is it above my React component, hmm. right? Or, like, is React above JavaScript, right? It's a higher level language and we talk about being higher and lower level in, you know, machine code. Um, so there is inherent spatial relationships between everything. Interesting. Um, and if you're just uh, working in syntax code or you're just writing handwritten notes, you're not having to really explicitly understand what the spatial relationships are, but those will affect the way you code and the way that you're going to understand like where your data is and where it's you know flowing down to or you're having to move props up or not, that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, so I think that really what it does is yeah, it forces you to make clear what's what's unconsciously in your head on paper um, and so drawing is a bit of a cheat way to do that you can certainly do it by just consciously thinking through it but yeah the minute you're trying to draw a diagram of what a compiler does you're really having to like think through what's happening physically yeah. in this situation even though it's not physical right it's not in the world but uh, our mental world is all based off our embodied experience we have no way to understand things without its relationship to our body and space and time so those those inherently are part of the programming world. Interesting. I like the way that you you frame this in terms of like being very uh, strict or like articulate about the spatial relationships. And kind of even as you're saying that, I'm realizing how much of the early days of communicating about React were about that, right? About yeah. like the one-way data flow. That was like kind of the, the the killer conversation, I guess, to like get people to really understand React. And that is like spatial relationship. Like th things, you know, go down and they like kind of come up on the other side and like go down a channel. And it's like there's this kind of like virtuous circle. Mm -hmm. And um, it is interesting how, how much we just kind of like overlook the val the value of that when we're learning, like you said, just kind of like these syntaxes and you know semicolons and destructuring yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure, like we once you get used to programming in React, you forget what it would be like to not know. And I remember coming in in the beginning, I would I was so confused. I was just like, but where where is React? Like where, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like and then you know, all things like when I'm learning about the DOM for the first time, and I'm like, but like, okay, so the DOM is a thing where where does react go and then it's in the dom and then rehydration what like something about a mounting component you know and i'm trying to visualize in my head where these things are and no one's able to explain to me <laughs> yeah in physical relationship to one another because you just get used to not thinking physically but when you come in for the first time you are just like what goes first and second and like where you know <laughs> yeah what's well, really interesting i i know that for like in my experience, not having the the visual metaphors kind of already presented there up front or having them being like well known as they are, as you mentioned in the finance world, um, my tactic has really was really just to keep doing it until I kind of understood how it worked instinctively. Mm -hmm. Right. But it, same thing, same thing. Like I, I was always like, well, where is the dumb? Like, I don't understand like <laughs> where it is, how I'm targeting it. Like, it's just this thing that when I write this code, like, the DOM changes, like, quote, unquote. Right. <laughs> right. And it's not the browser and it's not, you know. Yeah, it's uh, not the markup. Yeah. It's not the HTML. It's like this weird thing that like exists in like no man's <laughs> land. And you're just like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I trust the process. Mm -hmm. um, but I really like this idea of finding, like figuring out what those metaphors are. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's something that's so attractive to me about the work that you're doing, about, um, you know, Egghead and everything is, is that you can feel that that's 
very important.、Mm. And it's an important way of actually like truly communicating to someone, kind of like on a deeper level, on a more、mm-hmm. like holistic level of、uh, of education that that isn't just like do this, that, and the other thing, and it, it'll work. Trust me.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because、um, yeah, it is like metaphor is so、um, fundamental to the way we understand new things, right? Because I mean, metaphor is simply right to to understand one thing in terms of another. So that's when you think, okay, you have this thing you don't understand, right? Like whatever it is. Suspense and react,、uh, and what you're trying to do is find a set of well, essentially neurons in the brain that are already well mapped,、huh. and you're trying to say, I want to take this new thing and map them onto the thing that you already know, so that it anchors it somewhere. Because otherwise, you're just free floating in space, like、oh, I don't get what this thing is, and like what is it? I don't know its qualities and its properties.、Yeah. But if you can say, okay, here's a thing that we already know exists in your brain, and it has these same particular qualities. That we need you to understand. We can talk to you about it through this, and then you can sort of like latch it on. Yeah, I've I've been reading about th- this kind of concept, like the what, what you're talking about, the、uh, kind of like well mapped areas in your brain, and、mm-hmm. kind of like the the myelination or whatever that happens、oh, on、yeah. these certain like <laughs> circuitries,、yeah. and um and how kind of as you said, the best way to like form a habit. Um, is to like、mm-hmm. attach it to something that you already know and do and have a habit around, and it's so interesting to hear that you're doing that same thing, but for like new programming concepts. Yeah, because、um, yeah, the whole the whole theory of it it's called、um, either cognitive metaphor or conceptual metaphor theory, and it was developed in like the 70s and 80s. Um, by a whole range of people, mostly at Berkeley, but George Lakoff is sort of like the guy who becomes the celebrity of it because、um, he speaks the most about it, <laughs> and he's quite <laughs> articulate. <laughs>、um, but there's it, this whole world where they have discovered like、um, we have these inherent connections between things、um, in our mind that are common metaphors that get、um, associated at the same time. So things like、um, you know nations, we talk about them in the metaphor of families, or also in the metaphor of like ships, like the nation is、okay. going. Places, it's like a vehicle,、um, <laughs> and and they noticed that when they would、um, do the, you know the fancy brain scans and talk to people about these certain metaphors, that the you know certain areas of the brain would light up at the same time. Interesting. So, like, if you were talking to someone about the nation and you hadn't said anything about families, but the area of the brain that had certain family concepts onto it would light up too. It's just that it's so used to doing that from its historical understanding that. Those two have been activated at the same time so many times that they're now connected、uh, physically by neurons,、um, so that it is impossible to think about the nation without thinking about the family. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you get the motherland, the fatherland. You know, you、sure. take care of everyone in the the nation's family.、Um, so yeah, the, these things are、um, cultural. We we develop them, and we can pick which metaphors we want to. Uh, talk about more and emphasize more and continually reinforce in people, and we can do this in the programming world, right? We can say this is a really great metaphor for React. Let's try and use it routinely so that the two neurons like light up all the time, and people learn to do this. Interesting. Do you ever wish that you could just hook up everybody on the Egghead newsletter to like an EKG or something like that? <laughs> <Right. and> then, <laughs> Test. <laughs> It's like, is this metaphor working? Are your like neurons firing? <laughs> that would be great. That would be some really great user feedback testing. <laughs> Now you mentioned、um, you mentioned culture as part of this, and、mm. something I've been fascinated by is、um, what role does、uh, like culture and like spe- specific culture nuances. Play in either like reinforcing or making difficult the job of、uh, kind of visualizing these metaphors. Yeah, I do. I do sometimes worry about that. Where I'm well aware that the egghead audience is quite global,、um, and that I am coming from a place of a rather Western British American、um, understanding of the world, and I have certain symbols and、um, things I assume mean certain things that I know、mm. in other cultures aren't going to mean the same thing. I mean, there's a degree to which the world is so westernized at this point and globalized that you can kind of know which ones are going to be,、sure. you know, for sure.、Um, but I do sometimes wonder, like, are some of the metaphors that I'm using in illustrations just like make no sense to someone <laughs> in in the Philippines, or they're just like, I don't know, like, yeah.、Um, But it's yeah, that's one of those where the user feedback loop is not great. I don't know, like no one tweets at you like this doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it was it's it's really interesting because、um, like even something as primitive of, as color, right,、mm. can have can、uh, you know 
vary uh, in, in interpretation, like mm-hmm. wildly from nation to nation. And so it's an, it, it, I, I'm interested in kind of like how like it, it seems like an interesting challenge. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely something I take into consideration. Like, um, there's certainly times where I'd maybe be brainstorming something and realize, oh, that that's like a very American take on that. Um, and it does help that. So I grew up as a, a third culture kid, um, overseas. Like, I mostly grew up in Southeast Asia, in like Vietnam, Thailand, oh, Singapore, wow. Hong Kong. So I do have a little bit of like I'm aware of what is Western and what is not. Yeah. Um. But then again, it's like, I don't know all the cultural associations of someone in like Nigeria or someone in Argentina. Like I have a very limited number of continents. But it seems like a, a better mix than than, uh, than a lot of people. You're in a good yeah. spot. <laughs> yeah. And that's where uh, having a background in anthropology at least helps me be very conscious of, of that. You know, like, okay, I know there is a huge range of cultural understandings of, of ways of yeah. being the world and seeing the world. Um, so I always have to take that into consideration. Now, you mentioned a background in anthropology. Uh, Tell me a little bit more about that. So that was my undergraduate degree was in cultural anthropology. Oh, wow. And it's still sort of like my my like true love i mean i love illustration and programming but i always like to draw myself as like a three-ringed venn diagram where i'm in the middle of anthropology (laughs) illustration and tech and it's still something it's like i still read a ton about it um and still would love to sort of weave it into my my work in the future um but yeah i i've always been a a culture comparison nerd i suppose (laughs) well that's really fascinating because i think it it seems apparent to me in that that you are squarely in that Venn diagram. And now that you mention it, it feels it feels true that like, you know, as we've been talking about all these things at the edges, it it seems kind of like obvious in hindsight, that you uh, understand culture on like a much deeper level and like care deeply about getting those metaphors right for like the most number of people possible. Well, I mean, then anthropology is everything. I'm glad I come off as a good anthropologist. <laughs> but it's one of those disciplines where it's like, we'll take anything. We are studying the whole of humans. <laughs> yeah. It's great. It's a great thing to kind of like have in the mix of any di- Venn diagram then, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Everyone should be slightly anthropologist is my take on it. <laughs> now, you did this amazing, amazing live stream with Jason Langstorff on, uh, the, on his uh, Learn with Jason uh, live stream. And it was super fun, super fun to watch uh, you and kind of just doing your process. And uh, I, I'll link that. I think everyone should watch it if they're interested in seeing you like take something from concept to to actual art. But one thing that really caught my eye um, as someone who loves words and has always kind of had a thesaurus open uh, when programming uh, was this tool called One Look. Can you mm-hmm. can you just tell me about that <laughs> and maybe some other tools because I I was immediately in love and I want all of the tools in that in that bag. <laughs> oh yeah, I think you're gonna definitely love. I'm working on a blog post right now that is all of my nerdy linguistic tools. I'm really glad you're like a, yes. a, a linguist enthusiast <laughs> as well, because I'm for sure like linguistic anthropology, once I found that, I was just sold. Like, yes, please, <laughs> all, the, all the word nerd stuff. Um, so I definitely have a small, uh, a small like treasure trove of language tools I found over the years that I rely on, rely upon when I'm brainstorming. Um, so this is where, because yeah, programming doesn't have visual language yet, I have to really depend on like, uh, linguistic associations um, in order to like figure out what are what our inherent metaphors for certain things are um, so one look is yeah one of my favorites it's like a all-in-one thesaurus uh, searching tool uh, there's also one called phrase thesaurus which will you can type in any word and it'll show you a list of uh, phrases it's of course very cultural it's very western um, but you know if you type in fish it'll show you like oh you know the teach Amanda fish phrase oh and, like, no the, way yeah yeah it's really great oh. and, and you Crap. just get yeah and it's like that sounds like dad joke gold <laughs> right there yeah it is <laughs> yeah um so yeah that one's wonderful i love the the etymology uh, dictionary it shows you the cultural roots yes. of words so then you can go backwards and figure out like okay well what is what related to oh i can see it's related to that and you sort of get to build these little maps of like how did this word come to be um so that one's wonderful um i use uh, a lot of uh corporea searches so these are like huge databases of words that mostly academics use and the uis are always atrocious like it takes <laughs> so long to figure out how to use these things because like someone built them in like 
1995 and haven't touched it since. And the whole thing's like broken <laughs> half the time. But when you can get it to work, they're really wonderfully powerful. So you can say things like, okay, this word, and then show me every single word that occurs after it, or show me every single word that only occurs before it. Oh, wow. Or you can just like do whole searches of all the recent news and articles posted to the web that use that word in context. So if I put in the word like web security, I could get it to pull up 200 pages of the last things that were posted to the internet that used web security and show me the whole sentence. So I'm seeing what cultural context that that phrase is being used wow. within. And I'm being able to map like what we associate it with and what we tend to say around those words. Wild. Now, another thing that I was interested in your process is is um, you, you use this thing that's a, kind of like an improv tactic, uh, and it's called, uh, it's like the yes and, not like <laughs> no but. Uh, so tell me about the, how that kind of like uh, like fits into fits into your process. Sure, sure. So when I'm um, brainstorming ideas, you have to go into like complete non-critical mode with yourself. Um, so this is where I'm, I'm collecting all these words from um, word search places and I'm starting to sketch and I'm starting to combine different visual symbols in different ways. And you have to be willing to just make a, a huge page of like really awful ideas, right? <laughs> it's just like the, the only way through is, is mass. It's like a very, it's like an, a very non-programmer way of thinking because it's not linear. It's, it's, um, it's a discipline <laughs> called lateral thinking. So instead okay. of, you know, following one logical step to the next, you are doing your best to move sideways into areas that might not make sense that you hadn't thought about before. Okay. Um, so you're trying to, I'll use a lot of random word generators to just like throw in random words and try to incorporate that into the um, concept because even though it might seem random, like if I'm working on a web security illustration and I get the word, you know, strawberry, you're sort of for a minute, you're like, well, that doesn't fit in. Like, what am I going to do? And then you're maybe like, oh, what if I could make like the strawberry spiky? Oh, what if that was like a throwing star? You know, you, there's ways that your brain, no matter what, it will try its best to find the associative links and it takes you in directions you wouldn't otherwise have gone. Um, so that's that's really handy. But yeah, you definitely have to play. I, I think I used the example in, in the Jason talk that it, it's like improv. You're not allowed to tell yourself no, that that's dumb. You have to say yes and like, okay, a throwing star strawberry. Sure. Yes. And um, let's like throw some like bomb blueberries into it. Yes. <laughs> okay. And, you know, and you just keep playing the game with yourself. Um, so uh, I set a lot of timers for those. I'll say, like, okay, I'm going to make stupid ideas for 30 minutes. And you have to keep going for 30 minutes um, because otherwise the critical part of your brain kicks in and it's like, that's really dumb. I'm never going to find a solution. Oh my God, this is due on Friday. Like, oh, and you stop panicking. <laughs> so you have to really work on just shutting down the bit of your brain that's the editor for a while. <laughs> that is so interesting. The, 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 those kind of like two parts of selves. I feel, mm. It feels like we have like a very overdeveloped um, editor in our heads. Mm. And yep. uh, especially when there's like a deadline. And um, that seems like a really important tactic to like set deadlines for or set a, a space for yourself and be like, mm -hmm. for at least 15 minutes, I'm going to just say yes. Yeah. And yeah. whatever else. Mm -hmm. I wish that I mean, you, you'd said that early on that this is like kind of like not really a programmer tactic. And I have to say, like, I wish that it was because mm. uh, I think that so often we really do jump to the like the editor, the nitpicky, like no, no, no type mm -hmm. of type of thing. Um, when really, if we like gave ourselves a space to be like, what's the like you said, like, what's the worst idea? And yeah. like, <laughs> what can we learn from the worst idea? Because there's almost always something to be gleaned from something that is totally out of scope. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, it might, there might be a way to incorporate it in, in a, in a, in a part of the system. Cause it's, it's for sure. Like, yeah, right. If you're just trying to be like, okay, I need to implement this thing. It's like the linear thinking is, is what's going to get you there. Yeah. But it might be, you know, when people are trying to come up with like, oh, I want to build some cool tool that will be useful. I can put on GitHub and like everyone will give me stars and I'll be loved. Like that sort of thing. <laughs> like, that's you what you want to. All of, all of programming. <laughs> that's the only reason it on GitHub. Um, we just want the GitHub love. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> that so the the moment when you're trying to come up with your people will love me GitHub project. You should use lateral thinking because um, that's when you're going to be like, okay, what if I took like React and then I took like a little bit of like jQuery and I like mixed in some Ruby. Like, what would happen? You know, <laughs> and like and like a lot of people are like, oh, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. But you know, if if you start 
and then throw in some random word generator words and like, okay, now incorporate a shoe and now put a garage <laughs> in it. You know, you're really going to have to think creatively for like what you're going to build here. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that's helpful to people, but that might be one way to put it in your process. <laughs> oh, I, I think it's in- incredibly helpful. We, uh, um, I've always felt like one of the most important services that I provide on like any, you know, designer development discussion is just mm-hmm. to say the, the really bad idea. Like, just Mm. be like, hey, I'm going to represent the really bad idea because it seems like we're circling on, like, the same, like, good ideas with the same outcomes. And um, it it almost always is like this, oh, like, that is a bad idea, but it kind of makes me think of a better idea that we could amend the the okay ideas with nice nice yeah that's a really great tactic so in lateral thinking that's called provocative operation which is a very (laughs) fancy word and it even has an acronym po you could say like (laughs) it's a funny brainstorming technique you try to like flip things to be their opposite so you could be like okay uh po uh the website is easy to hack into, you know, and then you have to stop being like, okay, why would the website be easy to hack into, you know? And that's if like you were trying to come up with some web security. Interesting. Um, so yeah, so that's like creative thinking, like consultants will just be like, oh, PO, like the airplane flies upside down. And you're like, okay, let's make it work. (laughs) No, what's the name of that again? Provocative. Oh, provocative operation. It's from a book called lateral thinking by Edward DeBono, who's like a, creative thinky he has a huge ego so like don't watch his videos it's like rather <laughs> upsetting but like some of his theories are quite good <laughs> awesome i'm gonna add that to my uh, my resume Pro- <laughs> provocative yeah. operation yeah good at provocative <laughs> operation <laughs> <laughs> now you say in that live stream with jason that everything is a box mm. and it seems so reductionist <laughs> but I mean, given how uh, good you are at what you do, I have to I have to believe that there's some merit to that. So could you explain <laughs> that to me in a way that uh, kind of justifies the quality of your work with the the, the utter <laughs> simplicity of that statement? Yeah. So this is a, a yeah a fairly common uh, thing that you learn it, it, when you're trying to learn uh, traditional drawing. Um, is that you start with saying, okay, everything in the world can fit inside a box, like no matter what it is, like a microphone, an orange, a glass, whatever it is, you can fit it inside a box. And actually most of getting whatever you're trying to draw to look right is being really, really, really good at drawing boxes in 3D. So because what it does is it teaches you how to understand how perspective works um, and exactly how to, you know, what angles the two angles of the box need to be at and depending on whether the box is above you or below you or to your left or to your right, you need to be able to construct that box really well in space. Hmm. And once you can do that, you're genuinely like 70% of the way to being able to accurately draw objects. Because then what you do is you you carve into the box. Once you know how to draw the box and you're drawing a glass, you just sort of carve off the edges and you learn how to, there's also a way you, where you can uh, accurately draw circles within the squares of the box mm. that you can learn. Um, so essentially, once you have the box down, it's just a matter of shaping it into whatever you need it to be. But it's mostly a tool to establish correct perspective, which is like the vast majority of making a drawing look good is if it looks like it's in correct perspective. It's like, you you know, people really freak out. They're like, oh, you made a magical 3D <laughs> illusion on a 2D page. And I'm like, I know, it's the magic of drawing. It's. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. remember, it, it reminds me of a tweet that I saw of yours where you, you had just shown, uh, like, it was, a, it was a page and it was just like a bunch of boxes. And mm-hmm. I, I think you were just like kind of like putting reps in. Is that, uh, is that something you do regularly? Like, is that like, you know, you're, you know, just putting up three free free throw shots, like as many as you yeah. can get in, or like how does that work? <laughs> For sure. So uh, I probably don't do it as much now because at this point, like the box is so I I just I know how to do the box. But for sure, it was like I went through like two or three years of rather intense illustration training, mostly like uh, online, and I went to like a school in LA where I did a lot of training, and there was like. I just remember going through this one class where they were like, next week you need to come in with 30 pages filled with boxes, just oh like incorrect word. perspective. <laughs> and you just went home and like the whole, you every single free minute you had, you're just like drawing boxes. And you no. do this every single week for like 12 weeks. So when you talk about reps, like they were very like, yes, you will draw a thousand boxes in this class. Like, <laughs> Wow. Yeah. You know, it's funny. That's, <laughs> I, I think that's something that we, we really miss in kind of like the in the new wave of um, 
like programming education, mm. there really is none of that. It's just kind of like, you know, you kind of like learn it on the fly. And there's really none of that, like, you know, uh, you know, use dependency injection a thousand times. <laughs> right. <laughs> you guys aren't doing reps? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Should we be? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yes, yes, we should. <laughs> does it help, though, if you, if you like, wrote, like, a hundred different dependency injections? Like, would you get better at it? I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I, I have always felt like one of the, one of the feelings that I see a lot is that People have a hard time transposing a concept from one place to another. And I think that mm. maybe that's like where the reps really uh, come into play. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's like everyone, under, you know, if you've been doing React for a while, you understand how like a higher order component works, right? Mm. But like that, like the higher order, like fill in the blank is a concept that you can use literally everywhere. Oh, and, interesting. And the more places that you have the more places that you've seen it, the more places you're like, oh, yeah, like I can use this anywhere. And so I'm curious if that's like, if that's where reps would really like help a lot of of developers kind of draw those connections a little bit better. Yeah. Or maybe, oh, well, I'm like, oh, is it the mental model, right? Like, Because <laughs> it's like, if you taught people that there's such a thing as as a component hierarchy and you have like the higher order layer and then you have like the, I don't know, the lower order components, like I just feel like they're like bad or something. Um, yeah, like they, I don't know if that could be that there's something that if you teach people from the, from the, from a, like a, a step back, you know, and teach them the larger concept of like, okay, we have these things called components. They're like containers. Some of these containers are above these other containers, which yeah. are lower containers and like picture in your mind, you know, that there's this container that is higher than one of the other. And any, anything that is a container can be a higher order container, you know? <laughs> I, I love the notion of like a lower order function as part of this like uh provocative operation yeah. <laughs> process <laughs> yeah that would work. like well what's the lower order component <laughs> right because then you have to really be like oh wait okay is there a lower order component like yeah what are we dealing well, with here <laughs> it does go back to your your kind of earlier take on having to force yourself to put these things in relationship to each other Mm. and how that actually helps us conceptualize like what the relationship of these things are and everything does have relationships and uh i like that i'm gonna maybe i'll have to write a blog post on lower order uh (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) yeah because i mean that is one of those funny things of I know I, I can never get over how much uh, programmers always want to to emphasize like the disembodiment of the of the profession right there, and not even just the whole thing where oh, it's yeah. people like oh like my physical body doesn't matter I live on Soylent <laughs> and I just like live in the cloud and like my whole body is just irrelevant I'm just like this purely abstract mathematical programmer like that's yeah. like the ideal right um, whereas like when when you really look at the language of how we talk about technology in the internet it is so physical and embodied it's like the cloud is a us download things (laughs) if we're gonna go to a link we go to the right and if we're back on a web page we go to the left yes like and we we talk about going down rabbit holes like we go forwards into the (laughs) internet um so yeah i just love that whenever there's all this like disembodiment talk and i'm like you guys are super embodied it's just like for some reason it's like some weird like discomfort and denialism around it i don't know what's going on Uh, now, I, I, I'm sure that you probably get uh, asked this a million times a week, but let's talk real briefly just about your tools and then also mm. where people can find more about the tools that you're using, um, because obviously, it's, you know, it might change slightly. And I know that you have thoughts on um, kind mm-hmm. of how important tools are to the to the craft. Um, so tell me, like at a high level, what your your tool chain looks like right now. For sure. Yeah. Um, Because I will say, I mean, I'm a tool nerd. Like sometimes I get a, you know, people are always like, oh, what app did you draw that in? And I kind (laughs) of want to be like, let me talk to you about metaphors. Um, (laughs) Right. Um, But I totally like I'm I'm for sure like a a tool nerd. Um, Like I'm all in on like we're all cyborgs and should embrace it. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) I definitely use um, Adobe Illustrator is like what I build my vector shapes in. So that's um, helps you get nice clean lines and is really great for like mm. planning out the big picture, sort of more logo design, like the classic look of what you're going to do. And once I have all the shapes the way I want them, I export it to Photoshop. And that's when I, I have like a big um, Cintiq um, Wacom drawing tablet. And I paint in all the details and all the lighting effects um, like by hand. So it's like this nice tactical experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
And then I do do sketches on a, an iPad Pro uh, with the app Procreate because it's wonderful. I can, it's like you can take it anywhere and it's nice and lightweight uh, and it's just a great way to get quick uh, sketches down. And that the Procreate app is like uh, incredibly powerful. Like I could maybe do, I couldn't do finished illustrations in it, but other people who have slightly different styles can do finished illustration in it. It's, hmm. it's wonderful. How has the process been like kind of using multiple apps versus like... Um, you know, having all of those in one place, you know, if there was an illustrator on iPad type of thing, Mm -hmm. uh, is it cumbersome as it stands right now? Or is it like, does it work pretty flawlessly? For for me, because I have also like molded the tools to myself, like I'm very like, (laughs) like custom shortcut hotkeys and scripts, like for days, like everything that can be automated has been automated. And like, I have everything exactly the way I want it. Like I nerd out on doing that sort of stuff. Uh, like I love the app Keyboard Maestro. Do you know that one? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It like writes. But tell me about it. So- it's like little macros. You can just make you know magically make your computer like open certain windows and close others, and like pause yeah. the music and start a timer. And like I like to like just I like the feeling of things magically happening with me just hitting a keystroke. So <laughs> um, I, I use <laughs> I feel that like a, a lot. conductor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I definitely have a lot of that in my workflow with Illustrator and Photoshop, like very custom macros that are programmed just to those apps. Um, and But I know other illustrators like have been able to just move all into one app. Um, yeah. And it is a bit ridiculous that I sort of like move my work through three. But I can't imagine working any other way at this point. It's like I'm just like <laughs> too too ingrained in my own like tiny warped world that I have built. <laughs> and like there's no backing out now. At some point I'll get bored and just like start over. <laughs> completely, you know, just start start painting in watercolors, you know, or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've you've been incredibly prolific and uh, I I just wanted to kind of illuminate some of the the work that you have been doing and kind of point people to places where they can see more of or, of what you're doing. Because the last year, it just feels like you've really just knuckled down and started putting stuff out everywhere. Um, but you've, um, you started illustrated.dev. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're working with Dan on JavaScript or just JavaScript.com. Mm-hmm. Um, you have videos on YouTube now. You have that chat with Jason. You're talking with me right now. Um, tell me kind of a little bit about like what your thinking is kind of going into this next phase where you're sharing a lot more about your process, your thinking, and then even just the the work itself. Sure, sure. I mean, I'm definitely in a phase where uh, I'm probably finally taking seriously like Joel, who who's the, the CEO at Egghead. He's always been very good at encouraging like learning in public and sharing and teaching. Yeah. And I think it's just taken me a while to like get over my own, you know, insecurities of like, oh, I don't have anything to teach anyone. Like (laughs) (laughs) that sort of voice in your head. Um, So I'm working a lot more this year, especially focusing on illustrated.dev, which is like, yeah, visual explanations of programming things. But I'm definitely going to start publishing more on there. Um, Blog posts that talk about my process uh, and how and how I think about all this stuff. Um, and I also want to start mixing in some articles that are like a mix of technology and anthropology. Uh, like I love yes. digital anthropology. So looking at things like, you know, why does the economy of the internet work the way it does? Or like I, I was actually just talking to Henry Zhu, who who has um, he runs a podcast about maintainers of open source projects. And he's the mm-hmm. maintainer of Babel. I was talking to him about how open source software overlaps with gift economies, which is like a anthropological concept. Oh. So I'm starting to... Like play more with the interlap of those two. And so I'm looking at publishing more stories that explore those two worlds. Um, so yeah, so they'll expect to be a lot more of that um, coming out uh, on that. And then yeah, have the Dan project going on and I'm still continuing on with all the usual egghead sketch notes and course stuff. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm so thrilled to see more of your work and also like going into different spaces. Um, I remember the first thing that I think it was, I think you actually posted on illustrated.dev um, you'd gone to a conference or about meat production? Oh, <laughs> that is a, that is another secondary interest I have. <laughs> <It's> on, <laughs> just to throw something random in, I'm really into cellular meat. So, <laughs> uh, I, okay, I think we're calling it cultivated meat now. Okay. Uh, okay. It, is, it is essentially when you like take a, a single cell from an animal and you can put it in a bioreactor and you can like, grow a steak Whoa. that is like exactly biologically the same to like a steak you harvested from a cow. And it's still very, you know, like speculative kind of tech at the moment. Um, but I, I 
been vegetarian and like on and off vegan for for years um and so when i heard about this i was like oh this is magical i miss chicken like oh my gosh can this happen <laughs> like, i want I just, it to happen it needs yeah, to happen i really want it to happen <laughs> and like beyond meat is like you know it's getting it's getting pretty good but but um yeah, so I, this was like a little side interest. I like started obsessively researching and I found out there was going to be a conference um, last summer uh, uh, called the New Harvest Conference, which is like people who are in this cellular agriculture. That's the name of the world um, thing. So I went along, well, I offered to do sketch notes for the conference and it was in Boston when I was visiting family in New England anyway uh, and got to go along to it. And I'm, I'm going along again this year. It's just like one of my weird awesome. side interests. Um, and then there was also a wonderful book called Meat Planet by an anthropologist historian who took on this topic. And I made illustrated notes um, off of a lot of the things from the book that's on my main website, maggieappleton.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just like a whole bunch of theory around cellular meat and what it means for our relationship <laughs> with animals. And, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I love that's it. unrelated to programming. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's my favorite thing you said so far. <laughs> I'm glad we got there. <laughs> yeah awesome well maggie it's been a uh, pleasure talking with you our, unfortunately our time's up um but how can people find you um about the internet and mm -hmm. uh, just kind of see more of your work as it comes out sure so i'm uh on twitter too much it's um at mappleton so that's m appleton s because everyone else had took every other version of my name <laughs> <laughs> and then um, maggieappleton.com is more like a portfolio and has some of those illustrated notes up and then illustrator.dev is programming and tech-specific notes. Um, uh, I think that's pretty much it. I have an Instagram, at uh, Maggie Appleton. Uh, that's pretty much it. We don't need any more social media sites. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. We're done. Yeah. TikTok, you're out. <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. <laughs> I don't know how to use Snapchat. I'm sorry. <laughs> awesome. Well, Maggie, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate all of your insights. Uh, this was super fun. Thanks. Thanks for the chat. This is great. <laughs> This has been episode 86 of React Podcast with Maggie Appleton. To find the people and projects mentioned in this episode, visit reactpodcast.com slash 86. Thanks to our sponsor, Infinite Red. If you're hopelessly stuck in a React or React Native project, tap Infinite Red for help. They'll teach you your way out of whatever problem you face. Visit reactpodcast.infinite.red to start a new project today and get two tickets to Chain React Conf in 2021. If you like this show, there's a fast, free way to demonstrate your support. Leave us a review on iTunes. It's the best way for you to let me know what you think we're doing right and what we can improve. Two to three minutes of your time helps us make the best show we possibly can. As always, links and show notes for all episodes are available at reactpodcast.com. This episode was edited by Mikhail Delport. It was produced by Mikhail Delport and Sarah Jackson at Spec, a network to help you level up in design and development. Check out spec.fm for other shows that are sure to fast track your career. I'm your friend, Chantastic. Thanks for listening. We'll be in your ears again next week. Thank you.